You are salt and you are light. You're salt and you're light. I think it's interesting, even as I read those words again, I can't help but having this impulse within me to want to read them as requirements or obligations or even as expectations of what we're supposed to be. They feel heavy, especially if you keep reading where scripture tells us that if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing but to be thrown and trampled underfoot. Before I even really know what Jesus might be getting at, I can feel shame welling up within me, as if there's something that I've lost or am losing. But that's actually not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, you used to be salt, and you're not anymore. So just be thrown away. He gives a title. He says, you are salt. It's this passage of scripture that gives us that compliment that we often give to people, you know, calling someone a salt of the earth kind of person. It's, if someone says salt of the earth, they're representative of the best parts of our society, the best parts of our community. So again, it would be really easy to read this passage as a requirement, you know, be the best of your community rather than reading it as a blessing. It's easy to read it as a command rather than a commissioning, but Jesus doesn't issue a command. He doesn't describe a requirement. Jesus doesn't say something like, you know, if you want to become salt, then do this. Or before I can call you salt and light, I must see something special from you. Jesus just says simply and directly, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And these short phrases are listed very much like the blessings that we just read last week that we call the Beatitudes. They're just sheer words of blessing, words of commendation, affirmation, and commissioning. And of course, I realize that Jesus does go on to say that salt can lose its saltiness, and when it does, it becomes useless. And on the first reading, that sounds like a warning, or maybe even a genuine threat. But it's interesting, salt is chemically one of the four most stable substances that we have ever discovered. Without a significant chemical reaction, With high heat and high pressure, salt is always salt. So maybe, maybe Jesus is trying to warn us about losing our savoriness, or maybe Jesus is warning us not to cover the flame that's flit that's lit within us. But as I'm learning from incredible preachers like a guy named David Lose, who's a Lutheran professor of preaching, I think it more, it's more likely that Jesus is just naming how absurd it is to think that any identity given by God could ever be worn out or any identity from God could ever be contained and covered up. 
It's almost like Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and there is nothing you can do to change that. Salt can't lose its saltiness. And light cannot be contained. It isn't a command. It's an identity. It's a blessing. It's a commendation. You are salt. You are light. You add flavor to the world around you. You preserve and sustain the people who have come to trust you. You are an embodiment of the purity of God's creation. Salt is just so interesting, especially when Jesus was walking the earth. Salt was the primary means of preserving any food. Without salt, death and decay would putrefy good food before it could be eaten. Without Salt. Food would be boring, bland, uninspiring. The Romans in the first century thought of salt as being a symbol of purity because it kept things pure. To think of ourselves as salt of the earth is to trust the divine identity that is an absolute affirmation of our created goodness. And to think of ourselves as light is to assume that we are worth seeing. If we're light, then we're an illumination to the world around us. To be light means that we're visible and worth being viewed. And to me, this is huge, right? Our identity is given to us through Christ. It isn't a potential identity. It isn't a conditional identity. It is a resolute and profound identity affirming the fact that we add something to the world by our very nature. We preserve life. We add flavor We illumine the best and the worst of our surroundings. We guide. Essentially, what Christ is saying is that we matter. And that is crazy. For so much of Christian history, we've been caught up in judgment over our own lives and over the lives of others. We've focused on the worst attributes of ourselves and our neighbors. We focused our attention on critique and on judgment rather than celebration and renewal. And this has profound implications for our psychological well-being. It's well documented that children essentially become what they are named, the labels that are put on them. It's true for adults too, but you know, kids are sort of a magnifying glass of relational stuff. A child's self-esteem and self-worth has a direct relationship to the messages that they hear from their peers and from the adults who are around them. Psychologists suggest that for every single negative message that an elementary-aged school child hears about themselves, they need to hear 10 positive ones to restore a sense of self-esteem to where it had been previously. So if you call a child bad long enough, they'll start to believe you and start to act and behave badly. If you call a child worthless and unlovable, they'll believe that and lose any sense of self-worth that they have. If you call a child shameful 
and broken, they'll believe those words and stories. And for many of us, we've grown up with this understanding of ourselves. It's true for adults that if you're told repeatedly that your whole identity is wrapped up in the idea that you are sinful and unrighteous and held in God's judgment, we start to believe those things about ourselves. That's how we work. We live into the name that's assigned to us. So if someone were to call us good, worthy, lovable, dependable, helpful, or worthwhile, that too would be an identity for us to grow into. It plays out in kids because they're a magnified experience of human life. If you're regularly called ineffective, regularly called unworthy, regularly called bad or evil, then you start to believe those things. Even for people with a strong sense of self, other people's descriptions begin to shape our reality and our personalities. And for some reason, that seems to be how the church has worked for many, many, many generations. People love heaping judgments and identities onto other people. We love it. We love um, putting people in their place, right? It's never a good place that we put them in. (laughs) It's always a bad place when we put someone in it. When we put people in the play, their place, we cast judgment over a decision they may have made or a misjudgment that they may have had or an ignorance that they may have perpetuated. We can be judgmental of ourselves and of the people that we share life with. That just sort of seems to be the way that we operate in the world. But that isn't at all the way that God works. God doesn't give us identities of sinfulness and brokenness. God doesn't give us a laundry list of bad things that we may have done or name us according to our misstep. God simply names us salt and light. Because that is both our identity and our potential. We're filled with the capacity to preserve life, to enhance the characteristics of our surroundings. We're blessed with the ability to shine brightly in the world as beacons that illumine the path towards God's kingdom where judgment is cast aside and all people have a genuine opportunity to thrive without competition in the presence of our God. So if you already believe this about yourself, if you already believe that God loves you and has named you as a beloved child with gifts to be shared with the world, great, share them. Share that good news with friends. When you hear someone putting themselves down or casting judgment on someone else, remind them of our shared fundamental nature, divinely created and blessed to give flavor to life and shine as a light for all to see. Life is really just that simple, and it's just that good. If you've never heard this, hear it now. You are worthy of love. You're a blessing 
to your family and to your friends and to this church. You're an important part of the world. Life for the person sitting next to you would not be what it is without you. If you've never heard that your life is a value and that you have something good to offer to the world, I am so sorry. But it is so true. Jesus has named each and every one of us salt and light. God has named you beloved child. Christ himself has named you sibling brother and sister. And because of that, this community has a lot to learn from you. Which is why, selfishly, I'm so glad you're here. Because I have a lot to learn from you. You're a blessing. If you aren't sure how to bless the world around you or how you do bless the world around you, let's talk about that. I'd love to discover alongside you the many ways that God is alive in you and working through you to make the world a little bit brighter and a little bit more flavorful. I have absolute assurance that you have everything to offer this world. We all do. And that is the greatest gift that we have from God, that we were given purpose to impact the world around us. We have value from the moment of our birth, and we have love from an eternal God who holds us forever in love. And what may be even more special about that is it in many ways, has nothing to do with who we are, but has everything to do with who God is. And for that, I am grateful. Amen.